I'm Katie Atwell, co-host of the Edugals podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Amy Buckley is the chief academic officer and co-founder of StudyHelp, a tutoring platform. You can hear Amy talk about study help at stephenmaletto.com slash 449. That's episode 449. Amy has given me a few hundred dollar gift cards for study help, you know, to give away. That is so cool. Just send me an email at my contact page, stephenmaletto.com slash contact. Simply say, I would like a hundred dollar gift card to study help. First come, first serve. This is a giveaway that is awesome. Good luck. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Leslie Kofflow. That's right. She's back on the show. And uh, with her, we're talking about her newest addition to her A Story for Children in the Time of COVID series. You've previously met Lila and Jasmine, and now there's Wilson. Join us as we talk about Wilson's Wishes. Awesome book. Awesome conversation. You're going to love this episode. Thanks for listening. And before you go, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and left a review. Could you do that for me? Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that will be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmaletto.com sponsors, find the NVTA logo, and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Leslie Coplo is a clinical social worker, teacher, and author who lives in New York City. She is a director of emotionally responsive practice at Bank Street College, founder of Networks for Schools that Heal, and a psychotherapist in private practice. Leslie is the author of several books, including Where Ragdolls Hide Their Faces, The Way Home, Unsmiling Faces, How Preschools Can Heal, Creating Schools That Heal, Bears, Bears Everywhere, Supporting Children's Emotional Health in the Classroom, Tanya and the Tobo Man, Politics Aside, Our Children and Their Teachers in Score-Driven Times, and Emotionally Responsive Practice, A Path for Schools That Heal. Leslie is also also the author of a children's series, A Story for Children in the Time of COVID, Lila in the Land of the Littles, Jasmine's Big Idea, and now Wilson's Wishes. On episode 378 of Teaching Learning Leading K-12, we talked about Lila in the Land of the Littles, and episode 414, we talked about book two in the series, Jasmine's Big Idea. And today, we're talking about her third book in the series, Wilson's Wishes. Leslie, thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Well, it's awesome to have you here again, and uh, kudos on on the third book in this series. This is very nice. Thank you. So uh, before we dive into your latest book, Wilson's Wishes, let's talk about you as a young reader. Did you ever have a series of books or characters that you like to read and follow their adventures? Well, when I was really little, my dad used to read the Madeline stories to me, <clears throat> and 
Dr. Seuss. So I could recite like any, <laughs> any rhyming story <laughs> on the early childhood shelf. That's awesome. um, and when I was older, I read um, the boxcar children books. And I also, when I was a little older, liked those um, biographies of, you know, famous people that were like blue, dark blue books in the, in the school library. One was on Clara Barton. One was on, you know. They had I remember those. I remember those. I know exactly those. what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I like those. I did too. I, I visited those often. That's, that's cool. I, it's, it's, you know, when you're talking about reading and talking to authors, it's cool to know what they, they may have started off reading, what encouraged them a long time ago and what adventures, especially because uh, so many of those series that, uh, uh, like you're mentioning, was, that's awesome. You get some good ones there. So nice. I, you know, I, I said this before, but I say it again. Congrats on completing your third book, Wilson's Wishes. You know, it's in your children's series uh, about uh, children in the time of COVID. I, could you share why you decided to write a children's series? I decided to do this. I basically did this during the time of COVID when everyone had to be at home all the time. Um, so I used my energy to write these stories because I was looking for stories like that to read to the children um, in our school-based work and also in my private practice. And I wasn't finding them. I was finding a lot of books about washing your hands and wearing your mask. Um, but beyond that, what it was like to be little in this time and the kind of things that come up for kids um, during this time. So that's why I decided to write them. That's cool because it, it, and it feels like, you know, the children would, you know, a child would understand what you're talking about and which is very nice because, yeah, you're right. Lots of the other books, it's like, you know, here's all this trouble happening and we got all this stuff and wash your hands and uh, don't get near anybody. And not a lot of explanation that a child might, um, you know, be able to understand a little bit. And, and you do a good job with that. Start with jazz. Oh, it's start with Lila. Excuse me. So the, uh, you know, one of the things I got to say is I read your books I feel like you're really writing to two audience, the kids and parents. Could you talk about why the books may not just be for kids? Sure, but tell me what gives you that feeling. Because as things are happening, you know, and the, the child is exploring this world and trying to figure things out, it's, it's almost like you're talking to me to say, your child's asking these questions and thinking about these things, and you should probably try and figure out how to answer them or try and, you know, pay attention to what your child's doing. That's, that's what I'm hearing. So as the, as uh, you know, your characters, whether it's Lila or Jasmine or, uh, or Wilson are dealing with the different stuff that actually I feel like, <laughs> yeah, this is probably stuff that kids are asking themselves. It's just that they may not say to their parent or say to their teacher or whoever okay. that adult is, can you help me with this? And I, that's why I feel that way. Okay. So I guess what I'm doing consciously is reflecting, knowing what it's like to be little and knowing what it's like to be little in this time because I encounter so many children through my practice and also in our school-based work. So I see and hear what's on their minds. I can watch them play. I can, um, I can, sort of get into their mental space around what it's like for them. And if you're, so one of my big 
and things I'm always saying to parents and teachers is no development, no child development, because then you'll know how to make sense of what your child is reacting to and talking about and, you know, doing. <laughs> so what I'm doing in the books is reflecting through the kids' eyes what it's like for them. These Just these little three characters who have different stories, different cultures, different family histories during this time. And their way of making sense of it is through play. And that's a message that I hope all parents are getting from these books and all teachers are getting from these books because that's how children make sense of life. They play about what's going on. We talk about what's going on. They need to play about what's going on. And in each of these stories, the resolution internally for the child comes from their play and their relationships. And I love that. It's so cool. And it just, it just speaks loudly because I think as adults, we get, we get so caught up in what's going on around our world that we, we think our children are just getting it, you know, whether it's because we're telling them stuff or because, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, you might have the thought, to, how, how could you not understand this? We, you know, this is what's going on. And, and instead it's really, you know, that's, that's not the case because they've got to figure this out and they need some help doing it. And, and just like you said, the play really helps. And then having those, you know, we're going to get into this a little bit more in a few minutes, but the, the, the relationships and the, the friendship circles and so forth like that, helping them. And that's why I really think it speaks loudly because I think it, it reminds a parent who's reading your books that, uh, you know, they need some help understanding this and you need to pay attention to what they're, what's really going on in their world, especially like, you know, if you're so isolated, I mean, it's, it, I just have to say this. I mean, it was cool when, as, as schools start opening and stuff like this, um, where I am, the first thing that kids start doing after being away from each other is going to hang out with each other <laughs> and they immediately boom. And the adults did the same thing. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things that a lot of adults forgot is how important that uh, social interaction is. And, and uh, so it's kind of easy. You just kind of move about your world and do it. But I think that's what your books do and your characters do is remind us that we can't just do that. We have to, you know, pay attention to what they're, what they're feeling, what they're thinking or might be thinking or, or not understanding. There's been a huge um, increase in mental health needs in children. There's been, it's like a national crisis of mental health entry into emergency rooms for children and adolescents have in large part because of isolation. Social and emotional isolation is really antithetical to emotional well-being. And in each of the books that the isolation manifests differently and is a different conflict for each of the children. But um, if there's a message for adults here, it's not to leave children alone with big issues and big feelings. So important. And that comes through loud and clear. <laughs> so you did awesome there. You did awesome. So let's, let's talk about uh, Wilson's wishes. I mean, what was your original inspiration? I mean, where, where'd that come from? And Well, you know, I work in New York and so I have contact with people from every culture, every <laughs> um, imaginable um, place in the city. And parents were afraid and kids were overwhelmed. 
And so I thought, okay, let me just take one little guy. I'll, I'll just create one little guy, a five-year-old, who, of course, doesn't have any idea what, this, what the big picture is, but is experiencing something he never experienced before and is very confused and upset by it. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, um, that uh, you know, as you, you're describing what, what's going to happen in Wilson's world, because he's going to get um, blamed for having uh, possibly the virus and his family causing it and stuff like this. Um, so give us a little background on who Wilson is. He's just a little guy that I created. Um, having had a lot of experience over the years with lots of little guys. <laughs> so, um, he's a little guy who rides the bus to school. And suddenly a kid who sits behind him, a big kid, starts whispering things to him um, that he doesn't understand. So the kid keeps saying things like, go back to China. And he thinks, I've never been to China. How can I go back to China? He has no idea what he means or what's happening. And so little by little, the kids' messages get more aggressive and he needs help to deal with it. And finally, um, he asks his grandma about it because the kid said, uh, whispers that his family has Chinese germs. And so he tries to put two and two together. His great uncle had died from the virus the year before. And he asks his grandma if his grandpa brought Chinese germs to America. And that's, is that why his great uncle died? And she says, of course not. <laughs> and she gives him some perspective about when his family came here and when this virus started and how his uncle died and why his uncle died and all of that so that he has a way of understanding um, what's going on. So he takes what she says and sort of mulls it over. And one of the things she says is that in America, unless you're a Native American, all families started out somewhere else. Everybody's family started out somewhere else. And he's very intrigued by that idea. So when he goes home, he goes to a special secret hiding place where he likes to play and make his wishes come true. And he plays about that idea. Which comes across so real. And I think it's really cool. I mean, they, they, your kids sound and act like kids is what I mean, but it just, you know, they, they sound and act like kids. And I think that's so cool. And, you know, one of the things that happens in your books, which you've alluded to already, is there's a circle of friends. I mean, could you talk about the importance of friendship in your in your books? I mean, uh, those relationships? So in the first book, we focus on Lila, who's a little girl who's got older brothers and sisters who are teenagers, and they're always on the computer doing Zoom school because it was the first year of the pandemic, and she can't you know, she's in kindergarten, so they figure, well, you know, she can live without it for a little while. And so and her mom's busy working in the house on the phone all the time. And she feels really lonely and is wishing for her best friend who can't play with her because her best friend's grandma lives with them. And it's too dangerous for 
this other little girl, Jasmine, to be with other people because she could bring home COVID. So that dilemma of isolation is how the series starts out. And eventually um, she figures out how to have, or Jasmine's mom figures out how they can have outdoor, some outdoor playdates. The story of Jasmine is about a little girl who can't go to school even when school reopened because of her grandma, because it's too, the family thinks it's too dangerous, which it was. <laughs> and she feels very alone. And she feel, figures out how to bring her friends into her heart and mind so she doesn't feel so lonely through play. And then, of course, one of the things she does is she um, makes them in the snow. She makes snow people, she makes them in the snow. And one of the kids she makes is Lila, and the other one is Wilson. There's another one of her friends from school. And then we meet Wilson, the real Wilson, in Wilson's Wishes. Um, and he, when he gets teased by this kid on the bus, runs to his classroom, and there is Lila and Jasmine, who are so happy to see him. And then he feels like, okay, um, you know, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Kids need a good mirror. You need to see themselves in a positive light. And his friends love him. So then he reconnects to his feeling of being worthy and included. I think that's so cool because, I mean, if anybody thinks about it, because I'm going to, I'm going to step it forward to adults because I think the same thing with adults. I mean, we desperately need, um, especially because even if we don't agree, if we do have that circle of friends, but we're all not on the same, you know, the same wavelength with different beliefs and such, there's a reason why we're friends and there's something that helps, you know, help us get along together and figure things out and, you know, root for the same team, whatever that might be, or just, uh, you know, uh, um, want to spend time, especially when we're dealing with something difficult. And, you know, you go back to dealing with kids. I mean, you know, one of the I had young circle of friends and, uh, you know, one of the things that I loved in the early elementary school days, well, I still do, is watch uh, reruns of the original Star Trek. <laughs> Except now I don't do, you know, in those days what we did was when we got uh, recess at school, the uh, uh, an ancient piece of equipment called a carousel or whatever it was called, you know, we, we'd get on that thing. And that was our, that was the, uh, the hub of the ship. That was uh, a couple of different things for us. We used that as the, uh, the bridge. And uh, we also use that as a transporter room. So when you needed to go to the planet, you spun it really fast and then you jumped off. And, there you go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's funny, those relationships of, uh, of, dealing and being around each other and hanging out and, and uh, making that play was so important and still is. And I think that uh, you, you so bring that out with your characters because they, they help one another and you don't, there's nothing, it's, it's not like you're, you're telling, you're not preaching at us. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. Okay. <laughs> no, I really feel like that really does nothing for kids. They just repeat what it is that they think that you want them to say. And then they go back to doing whatever they were doing before. <laughs> exactly. Very anti-preaching, actually, for kids. Very much so. And it, it, that's what is so cool about it. And, and I want to go back to my example of playing on that playground. You know, one of the, uh, <laughs> the main group, um, no matter what happened, we could end up coming back together. And so, like, myself and one of the other guys, 
we got into, you know, whatever a first grade tussle looks like. <laughs> and it was all over the TV show, by the way, arguing about something that happened on yeah. it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then just as quickly as the teacher interceded and uh, <laughs> we, we got separated and, and uh, punished, <laughs> um, that afternoon we were back to uh, being <laughs> on the bridge <laughs> and the transporter room and all that sort of stuff again. And I, and I think that's what comes out of play in those relationships and so forth and getting back into the world where, you know, Wilson's dealing with some you know, a difficult topic where, um, yes. you know, people are having some sort of fear or sending anger towards him and his, his heritage and such. It's uh it's a difficult thing. And, uh, and then the answers come through and, and the importance of those friends is, is right there and family too, by the way, which is cool. So, so one of the things that I've got to, I got to talking about is, uh, in Wilson's wishes, there are some adults who play an important role. And I thought this was kind of cool. Could you, could you talk about that? What happens? Yes. So the first person that he reaches out to is his grandma. And his grandma has, is the person who picks him up after school every day. So she gets to hear his school stories before anyone else. And she listens and she helps him with perspective. And he's very, has a very trusting relationship with her. He eventually decides to ask his parents to help him with this. Take me to school. <clears throat> and I don't want to ride the bus because this is what happened. So they, who understand immediately what's happening, say, okay, we're going to take you to school and we're going to help you talk to the principal about what happened. So they do that. And the principal, he's a little scared because, you know, he's little and going to the principal, he's not sure what that's going to mean. But the principal is very supportive and really expressive about how valuable all the different kinds of kids and cultures and communities are in their school. And you should always ask for help from an adult if someone's bothering him. And he feels relieved and secure. The only reason that the teacher isn't in this story is because I couldn't literally couldn't fit her on the page. (laughs) Nice. Nice. I like that. (laughs) My illustration in the classroom, I really wanted both Lila and Jasmine there for continuity in the story. And then I couldn't fit the teacher in there, which was too sad because I'm very big on teacher child relationships. That's funny. I just assumed that that's, I I would have been good. You didn't, I would have been just fine without ever knowing that because I had I just assume it's just what you're doing as a as a you know the tool to get into the point of the story. So, <laughs> but also the principle is important because children have radar for authority. Um, whoever is in charge is what they're looking for. They want to know that, and the person who's in charge has a lot of power to help children feel safe and to buffer external things that are damaging to them. And so having someone in charge who hears Wilson's story and is able to give Wilson a good mirror, a positive, see him in a positive light and help him make boundaries around someone who's doing something hurtful that they shouldn't be doing. And his school experience is important. 
having been a principal, I greatly appreciate the principal being a good guy. So <laughs> too, too often we're portrayed as either being just dumb or, <laughs> or bad the, guy. the bad guy. Yes. And yeah. So, so yeah, I appreciated you having a good guy. principal. School leaders are the whole show. If a school leader understands children, understands development and sees the importance of supporting emotional health in their community, in, in the climate of the school, then the school thrives for children. It's a place they want to be. And if the school leader doesn't see that, that's a place nobody wants to be. That is so right. You know, it's and and kudos to those principals who have spent some time uh, connecting with kids because a lot of times it's easy. The, the role doesn't always, even though you're in charge of the building and, uh, the, and that main leader there, you, uh, so many things take you away from working with the kids. So they have to spend time connecting and doing things that, uh, um, that help, help the kids see them as um, somebody that they want to talk to or talk with or, uh, or have fun with and uh, everything from, I mean, it, I've seen some funny ones, so <laughs> and to work as hard as they can to try and make that happen, and it's a cool thing because then the kids see them as someone that they can come ask those questions of, or who might be able to provide them guidance. Yes, and all those things that principals do all day long that come from external demands, whatever the resolution of those things are, have impact on children in about twenty seconds. So knowing children and, and being able to see those connections is important. Very much so. Very much so. As a, as a principal that, that was hired to, to make change in buildings, uh, um, one of the things that you know, happens is that uh, you come in and <laughs> there's lots of things that you start focusing on. Well, one of the things that I would do is I wanted kids to get to know me also. And so I'd uh, play pickup games of soccer and play in the band and stuff like this. And there's nothing better than, you know, this, this, the, as they start to get to know that you're, you're okay, that you're actually a real person. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, it's kind of a cool thing. So, uh, just, uh, I, I think it's neat that you put in a person who's connected with the kids. So very nice. Thank you. So, <laughs> I sound like I'm a, getting ready to say for all those principals out there. <laughs> <laughs> I work with some great principals in my bank street project. So. That's wasn't cool. hard to invent one. <laughs> That's very cool. I like that. So, uh, you know, I got to say this because as I've noted in our previous talks, I've, I have to mention your amazing use of scrap materials to create the images of the scenes and characters. Cause I think it's so cool because it just feels like any second it's going to come alive. It's going to be animated. And I could see this being an animated uh, short as uh, all three of your books. And, you know, Wilson's women images had, I mean, let me try that again. Wilson's wishes has that imagery as well. And, and they're awesome. I mean, it's just the character. I mean, I think it's cool that you take scraps of material and they're the characters, you know, you, you only have to get so specific in the detail and so forth. And there they are. I mean, and it's, and it's cool the way you do that. I, I just love that. I mean, you know, how do you do this? I mean, how do you, how do you do that? Do you, do you sit there and kind of, and then you've already kind of answered this a little bit when you talked about how the teacher wouldn't fit in the, in the, in the image. Um, okay, so I, I illustrate using collage because I've been doing collage um, during the pandemic. I've done some collage over the years, but 
I stepped it up (laughs) during the pandemic and decided to put these two things together, my wishes to create children's books along with the collage. And it works so well. Um, And it's the way I work is, is a creative process, which makes sense. But collage is about putting things together and creating something new, uh, which I love. And it seems to work for, um, the imagery seems to work for children. So. Oh, very much so. And, and for adults too, because it's like, <laughs> this is cool. I, I, just, I, I just think it's so awesome how you've created these characters and there's not, they're not fine detailed by an artist. They're not, they're, they have your artistry of, of the taking the materials and, and making them into the, um, the image that you wanted. And it's, and it is so awesome because this is, they're cool. I just, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Cause it just, it, you know, I, I just love it. What you do there. So that is so awesome. I, I gotta ask you this. I mean, do you think parents should read Wilson's wishes with their children? And if so, why? Well, Mostly when I'm writing, just because of the work that I do in school communities, I'm thinking classrooms, um, but certainly it's accessible. The books are very accessible to anyone who's spending time with children, to parents, to caregivers, etc. And I guess there'd be all different reasons why you might pick up Wilson's Wishes. Um, I have a colleague who read it to a classroom, one of our school communities, collaborating school communities. Um, And this particular classroom was all black and brown children. There were no Asian children. And they were all over it. They were like, this is about, you know, when big kids are mean to little kids and someone said something mean about my mom. And so, you know, so they related to it in a very um, easy way. Um, And I would also guess that at this time, there are Asian American children who would be very, who would find it very powerful and relieved to know that they're not alone um, when someone says something bad. I kind of think it might be a better fit for kids who are a little bit older than Wilson in um, the Chinese American community so that they do have a sense of it um, and could talk about what it's like to be little and not really understand what's going on and all that kind of stuff. Well, as a note, I think it fits with just about anything that kids work with, even though you have that that subject of the um, blaming them for the virus and so forth because of words that are said. But the um, but it also deals with the the fact of somebody, like you said, the kids immediately said somebody, right. you know, causing somebody else problems, making fun right. of them, or doing whatever. The big I mean, kid is saying yes. Yeah, and, everyone had a story, <laughs> um, and so that's what I love about the. The kind of books that don't preach, kids will take where they need them to go. And that's what I want to happen. I want kids to find the meaning that they find in a book. And that's all different. It's always going to be like that. In a whole class of kids, about 18 kids, all of them are going to find some different part of it that resonates. Well, not, but they'll take it where they need it to go. And I, I think that's a, a really important thing to sort of read to kids and not ask specific questions. Say, so what do you think about that story? What does it remind you of? Just let it mean what it means to that child. And parents can listen and see what it means to their child. 
and teachers need to listen to all the different things that it might mean to all the different children in their classroom community. So the kids don't feel alone. They feel like adults understand, adults with, are with them. So important. I, you know, I think that uh, uh, just too often the adults are dealing with whatever their world is and they kind of think the kids are resilient, they'll be fine, and they don't spend enough time, you know, letting, even hearing what, how they're interpreting things. I mean, yes, you know, it's a, it's a interesting world. So I, no, I just, I, I love the way you, you make this happen. Cause it's not, like I said, <laughs> and like you said, there's, you know, you, you, you went out there and looked and lots of the books, you know, are just telling you how to do things <laughs> as opposed to putting it in the, in the world of the kids and their play world and such, which is cool. You know, one of the things it it lends me to, and I keep going back to reading and the importance of it. I I mean, how can reading with a child help during stressful times? And whether it's the teacher or or parent or older sibling. So if you you read to children and you read things that sort of, well, right, people can't see. I'm just realizing they can only hear. But if you read things that reflect what's going on for them developmentally and what's going on in real life. It heightens their attention to that material. And it then lends itself to an invitation afterwards about what that meant. You know, what it reminds you of, you want to draw a picture that something it reminded you of, you listen to what everyone's saying and then literacy becomes your own voice. Um, And that is an incredibly motivating, um, factor for emergent readers if what you're listening to and what you say gets written down and what you write and draw gets elaborated that's your voice it's not distracting you from what you're thinking about and what you're feeling it's a a vehicle for expression of what you're thinking about and what you're feeling and everybody wants that that's awesome i you know it's it's interesting because like I think, um, you know, the kids can create these different worlds and I think it's important for them to have the parent interpret things or, or, uh, help them with whatever. And I think that comes through in many different ways. You know, it's, I, I think about kids who go through at early age, parents getting divorced, the, the death of, a, of, of, of a parent or a an important, um, family member, um, someone who, you know, in my case, like a, you know, my best bud, which was my grandfather, that type of thing, or, you know, and, and there's any number of other things that uh, I think adults a lot of times think everything's going to be just fine, but they don't realize that they might need that uh, person spending time kind of having some conversations about it, actually. And, uh, yes. and so. in this time, there's so many children who have lost important primary people. Um, and that loss gets carried and it can't be carried alone for little ones. It's too much for them. Oh, especially if there was that deep connection, that's for sure. I mean, yeah. well, Leslie, I got to tell you, this has been awesome catching up with you again. And uh, we got a couple questions I want to ask you before we finish out, but, uh, okay. uh, but uh, before we close, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Okay. Well, there's two possibilities. Um, I'm, just um, finishing a website for um, that has a big book component in it. <laughs> um, 
that is called schools that that's you can get to by going to schoolsthatheal.net. Um, that should be up by the end of the week. Um, and I'm talking to you on January 19th. Um, and you can also find me at uh, Emotionally Responsive Practice at Bank Street if you go to the Bank Street College website. Very cool. And I'll have those links in my show notes. And I think that's cool that you got your own website going for these books now. So I think that's, that's awesome stuff. So that'll be there in the website, in the show notes so that people can find it easily. And, you know, I have the last question, Leslie, it goes like this. If you had a chance to talk with an audience of parents whose children are in the early years of school, uh, could you talk about the importance of providing opportunities for the children to read? I would say read to them. <laughs> Um, read to them, make sure they have time and support for open-ended play, for creative play, um, have books around that are, that reflect who they are and also what their interests are, um, and keep them off of the computer, (laughs) (laughs) which is, you know, my old fashioned self and pretty impossible to do at this time when everybody's home all the time, but don't let that be the only source because that kind of play doesn't have the same value emotionally as playing with make-believe things. <laughs> um, it just doesn't. Play is a symbolic process. Learning to read is a symbolic process. Symbols feed symbols. So anything cognitive that you create feeds that part of your brain that can make sense of literacy. I love it. Uh, this has been awesome catching up with you again, Leslie. And uh, kudos on adding your newest tale, Wilson's Wishes. I, I got to tell you, Wilson is another cool character that you've added to your, uh, uh, to your tales of, that help children deal with uh, what's going on in the world around them under COVID. And uh, um, we got uh, Lila, Jasmine, and now Wilson. And uh, got somebody on next? Got somebody coming up? Sure. I think this particular series is done. I think I'll have a different, a different uh, series to follow. Well, cool. Look forward to, to hearing what, what's coming next when you, when you get the, when you're ready to share. So I, I love that. Uh, you know, this, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing today and uh, wish you the very best in all you do. Thanks so much. And thanks for having me. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio. Your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.